Well, good morning. Here you go, Daniel. Here's your water, sir. Danielson. I was trying to get Daniel to leave his spaceship here. Maybe I could do some cool effects on my voice uh, while I'm here. But anyway, hey, if you have your Bibles, go to Ruth chapter 3. Uh, Ruth chapter 3. We are continuing in our series uh, through the book of Ruth called Not Forsaken. Uh, and as you are flipping there, I just want to say thank you for praying for my dad. Uh, he got into a uh, room yesterday, uh, and so it's been a pretty crazy whirlwind. Uh, if you didn't know, my dad fell last somewhere Friday night, Saturday morning, hit his head, and actually ended up cutting an artery in his, in his forehead uh, and bled out for about 13 hours before he called anybody. And so by the time we got into the ER, he didn't have a blood pressure. His blood sugar was 730-something, and his kidneys were failing. Uh, but then I come in Sunday morning, he's talking to me off the vent like nothing ever happened. Uh, so that's because you prayed. And so uh, thank you. Keep praying for him. He, he's got a, a couple more days in the hospital. Then he'll go to a transitional place uh, and things like that. And so be, continue to pray uh, for him. I do have a couple of announcements. Uh, the first one is, uh, is Carrie uh, Davis and Nicole Beatty uh, came up with a little Remind 101 for our kids. Uh, and so I think we have a uh, yeah, there you go. So if you, have a, if you have a kid in the kids' ministry, sign up for Remind 101. They're going to begin to send out uh, uh, updates and info like that. Uh, and also on August the 1st, from 4.30 to 7 p.m., uh, we're going to have a back-to-school swim party for all kids at Jody and Melissa Brady's house. And so if you have a kid, uh, we, obviously we would love for them to come there. We are asking uh, for any kids seven or under to have a parent stay with them, obviously, for safety reasons and things like that. So sign up for that. Or, or, or Nicole's here, Carrie's on, at the at Shaco with the kids. And so if you have any questions, you can talk to Nicole, but uh, make plans for that. I think we're having hamburgers and hot dogs that night. Uh, anyway, it'd be, a, it'd be a great, great night. Another announcement that I have, and I'm really excited about this. And I, so I know at the beginning of the year, we began to kind of shift in direction, gospel-driven church and things like that. And I told you that in the fall, we would begin to implement some things. And so on August the 15th, as a Sunday night, we're having what we're calling Vision Night. Uh, and so for if, if you currently serve in any volunteer capacity, uh, whether small group leader, uh, host home for small groups, uh, you serve in our kids' ministry, Ministry, uh, music ministry. Uh, if you serve and volunteer in any capacity, we want you to come on August the 15th. Or if you have a desire to serve in any capacity, uh, rather, and I'm telling you, there's a strong need. And so uh, if, if you haven't heard the Holy Spirit or God tell you uh, to serve, he is doing it through me right now. Uh, hey, we need you uh, to serve. He is, I am his mouthpiece this morning. Uh, and so on August the 15th, what we're going to do is we're going to have a vision. I just kind of what that new gospel driven church looks like for volunteers and in different areas and ministries of our church. To begin to lay out some new vision for small groups and, and, and different services. So if you have, if you currently serve in any capacity or desire, so everybody, you're invited. I hope everybody comes. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And then the weeks following, so also on that night, we'll have ministry heads from from every one of those ministries. And so if you want to connect the kids and then Carrie and Nicole will be there and you can talk to them. And anyway, so all the ministry heads will be there. Uh, we're, come, we're creating a new hospitality team uh, that's going to, uh, we want to make, bring like, I know years back, uh, 
like bridal showers and baby showers are handed to the small groups. Uh, we want to bring that back to a church uh, platform to where as a church we can love on those as a whole whole church to be able to love on those who are having babies and, and getting married and things like that. And so uh, we're, we're putting that together. And uh, so if you want to serve in that or when somebody passes away, we want to bring food. Uh, and so anyway, we're kind of putting it together, some things like that. So a bunch of opportunities for people to get connected to. That's August the 15th. I don't have a time yet. Uh, uh, but we will we will let you know next week exactly when that uh, what time that will be. Let's see. Announcements, announcements. Luke is at Springfield Baptist Church this morning in Morton, Mississippi. That dude goes to churches that I didn't even know existed. Uh, but anyways, in Morton, Mississippi, he's I get he's preaching a revival type there. So he's preaching twice a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so be praying for him as he is preaching up there. Now, let's get to the text, uh, uh, Ruth chapter 3. And I just want to say this, hasn't it been wonderful just to walk through this Old Testament narrative and just see God's faithfulness and his sovereignty? And for me, maybe just this past week, uh, kind of walking through just some uncertainties uh, about dad and decisions I've got to make on his behalf and, and things like that, that, uh, that in, in the ordinary life, like Ruth and Naomi, they were just living ordinary lives. Their, they lost their their husbands, uh, Naomi lost her sons, they, there was a famine, there was just ordinary life going on. Then here we see this God, a God that is faithful, and that God has a plan, and, and he's good, and he's sovereign. And it's just, for me, this past week, it's just been good to, to really listen to, I guess, my own words at times, and, or be reminded of my own words, and that, that God is there in the ordinary, that God's there in the everyday mess, the things that seem like they're overwhelming, things that seem like what is going on here that we know that God is sovereignly working all things to the council according to his will. Uh, and that's good to be reminded of. And I hope that's blessed you. Uh, and so uh, this, this morning we will finish chapter three and then we will spend two weeks in chapter four. Uh, and, then we will, and then we'll bring this to a close. Last week, like I said, Luke walked through chapter three. And he made kind of a joke that, uh, that when I, I would come up the next Sunday and he, he kind of put me like Ruth at, that I would come back into the fields and pick up whatever grain was left in chapter three. And I told him this week, dude, you didn't leave much grain to pick up. Uh, you should be more like Boaz and then leave some more out there for the, the sojourner to pick up. But anyway, and so uh, we are all going to walk through uh, chapter three. So Really, let's just read the first five verses real quick to set up the scene just in case you, you've missed it. Uh, so up until this point, you have, they went to Moab, uh, Elimelech led his family there because of a famine. Elimelech, his sons die. Both of his sons married Moabite women. Eventually, Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem, and they're in a bad place. So much so that Naomi, whose name means pleasant, said, call me Mara, or Mara means I'm bitter. Uh, and then in chapter 2, we see that uh, Ruth sets out to find uh, grace or favor, and she happens to chance upon a guy named Boaz's fields who shows her grace. And the chapter two ends that she had been, they kind of set into that life for about six or seven weeks. That's what was going on. Chapter three, we read this. Then, so some six, six, six or seven weeks into this, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, check out just the difference in Naomi from the end of chapter one saying, hey, don't call me Naomi. I'm bitter. 
Check out how she says this in verse one. My daughter, should not I, check this out, should not I seek rest for you? Notice Naomi, that doesn't mean her pain's going away. That doesn't mean that she's not still struggling anymore. But somehow in the midst of her pain, she said, but shouldn't I seek rest for you? I want you to just catch that. That it may be well with you. Verse two, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, his, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. And do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, what, what I want to do this morning is because, like I said, I don't really necessarily have to tell the story. If you haven't been with us, the way that we're teaching through is that we'll tell the story, we'll pull out truths and how that points to Christ. Well, like I said, Luke took out all the grain of the field of the story. And so, but what I, what I want to do is to make sure we're keeping this, we're keeping this in our minds. I want to kind of set the, the background of this chapter. There, there are two cultural things that are going on. There are two uh, things that we need to understand uh, that God providentially and sovereignly provided in his beautiful law that are going on that are happening around. The first one we've talked about numerous times, and that's the leveret marriage. Uh, we, we can find that in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and ultimately what leveret marriage is, and say, Justin, you told us this a hundred times, but I'm just keeping us, keeping us there to understand what's going on, is that leveret marriage is, say, uh, if a if, uh, there's a man, and he, he's married, and he dies. If he has a younger brother, then he would uh, marry uh, his brother's wife and so that his family line would continue. It was something that God had did, and because for, for, for them is the, the family, the name, the, to continue on. And so we see that happening because you have Elimelech and the sons die. Uh, that's why in chapter 2, Naomi says that God hasn't, uh, he, he has not forsaken the living or the dead. We see this picture happening, but there's a second one that, that we've talked about, kind of, but it's really introduced in chapter three, and that is of the kinsman redeemer. This is another thing that is a, a beautifully providentially uh, given in God's law. Uh, and to where leveret marriage really talked about keeping the family line at stake. Uh, kinsman redeemer was more about the property or the possession or the provision for it. And so what you see happening here is because God and his beautiful law is about, create, about uh, preserving a people, but also a place. Uh, I mean, think about today, what are some of the biggest wars fought over the, where, the land that Israel has? And so you can even see it here that even in this law, not only was there God's, you know, uh, preserving a people and a place, but also that there's this provision, almost not only would Elimelech's name not die, but also Elimelech's work wouldn't die. That, that the provision that he stored up for his family, that his property, his possessions, that, that they could be redeemed. And you can see it in uh, Leviticus chapter 25. It's going to come up on the screen. And so this is where uh, the kinsman redeemer concept comes from. In Leviticus 25, uh, verse 25, it says, 
If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer, redeemer would be the next nearest kinsman there, uh, uh, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. I'll just stop there. So there's that picture of if, if, if land was lost, obviously Limelech's land was lost, and so, but they still had land that could be redeemed back, that could be purchased back. And so in this picture of uh, Boaz ultimately marrying Ruth that we will see is not only is the name of Elimelech being carried on, but also his, his possessions and his provision, the way that he would provide for his family, it would be redeemed back. Now, the story could be broken down into really three parts. First of all, we have the plan. That's what we just read. Is that all right? So Naomi, all of a sudden, uh, she speaks up. So far, she hadn't really uh, talked a whole lot since chapter one. Uh, she speaks up. She says, "Now, isn't it? Shouldn't I seek rest for you?" And she puts together a plan and she tells her to 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 wash wash herself up. Uh, we see that in verse three, uh, to wash herself up, anoint herself, and put on. The cloak and go down to the threshing floor because there it was harvest time, so that's where Boaz would be. So Naomi puts together this plan to put because obviously it had been six to seven weeks, and I think that the beginning of those six, seven weeks, Naomi probably thought, Yeah, Boaz is gonna make a move, but for six or seven weeks, he never makes a move. And so Naomi, being the great mother in law that she is, or the mother that she is, all right, we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna we're gonna do what we can do. And so it's time for us. And so Luke mentioned last week it was custom or cultural there that those six to seven weeks that, that Ruth could have been wearing her mourning clothes and that like her weeping clothes, her her clothes of a widow. That's maybe why Boaz never uh, made a move, if you will. But anyway, Naomi says in her bitterness, she thinks of Ruth and says, hey, I'm, obviously I'm older, but I'm going to seek rest for you. It's time for you to move on with your life. There's two, listen, watch this, two women walking through the same thing, yet one woman says, I'm going to help you and yours. That's something for us. We got to catch that. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I just want you to, to catch that. So she tells her, to wash herself, anoint herself, and put on her cloak and go down to the threshing floor. In our 21st century mindset, we think, all right, well, she's, you know, I don't want to go into this too much. She's putting on her, her pretty clothes, and she's getting all dolled up, and she's going down there. But culturally, it's the direct opposite of that. Matter of fact, how a Naomi tells her to wash herself, to anoint herself, and put a cloak on herself, does that sound familiar to anybody else that was grieving in the Bible? When David's son died and he went into grieving, how did, how did he symbolize that he was coming out of grieving? Look, actually, in 2 Samuel 12, 20, it's not, I don't know if it's going to come up on the screen or not, but make note of it. I'll read it. It said, then David arose, so this is after his son dies, said David arose from the earth, and what did he do? He washed himself, he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. And so this was just a cultural thing. It says, hey, you've been in these mourning clothes, and people know you've been mourning. Now it's time for us to move forward. It's time for us to continue to go. Uh, and so, and actually it says cloak. She didn't put on her Victoria's Secret, if you will. This, this cloak would actually be to where she would try to almost hide her face. Uh, obviously, I know Boaz was asleep when she wakes him up, but her face was also covered for the most part. 
You could, you could see why. Uh, so it pulls out the seduction out of this story, if you will. Uh, but anyway, so she puts on her cloak. She covers herself, and she goes forward. The plan was to go to the threshing floor and uncover his feet. Uh, the one thing that I looked at this week is uh, ladies, and actually uh, this is not everything that the Bible describes is prescribed by the Bible. Maybe not necessarily how you find your husband is by uncovering their feet. That may be a little weird, but uh, anyway, she, she sends her to go do it. And she, and she says, whatever you tell me, I will do, I will do. And here's what's really another thing for us to catch is that Ruth was in no uh, obligation to fulfill this leveret marriage. She didn't, under the law, she didn't necessarily have any obligation to do this for Naomi in Elimelech's name. So she was under no obligation, but she, was, she loved Naomi. The second part of this story is 6 to 13, where we see the execution of the plan where Ruth actually goes. Now, we, we don't, there's not a lot of space between verse 5 and verse 6, but think about it for a second. So uh, Ruth says, all that you say I will do, and then in verse 6 says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law did. Here's what I want you to see for, because I'm telling you, I have to find grain wherever grain is this morning. Uh, this is what I want you to see is that at verse 5, she had the word from her mother-in-law to go. Later on, she actually begins to do what her mother-in-law told her to do. But between them, there, there was a time. There was a waiting. There was a walking. There was a, there was a, uh, a waiting that had to happen. And so that, that's important for this morning. So she takes off and she goes. Whenever Naomi tells her not to say anything, just uncover his feet, then do what she tells you to do. And she covers her feet, startles Boaz. And Boaz says, who are you? And, and according to Naomi, she's just supposed to, uncovers feet, but Naomi, I mean, Ruth speaks of him and says, I, I'm Ruth. And we see it in verse uh, eight. I, I, am, I am Ruth, your servant. Sorry, verse nine. Uh, spread your wings over your servant, uh, for you are a redeemer. So we see her following the plan. She uncovers his feet, startles him, and she, he says, who are you? And she says, this is who I am, but I want you to catch this as well. She says, I am Ruth. And what does she say? Spread your wings over your servant. Does that sound familiar to anything else we've heard or read in this book yet? Back in chapter 2, when Boaz prays over or blesses Ruth, what does, he, uh, what does he say? Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. Uh, connect those for me for a second. So, Boaz blesses her, says, may the Lord uh, spread his wings over you, take refuge under his wings. And now she looks at Boaz and says, may you spread your wings. It could be actually be translated, the, the ends of your, the corners of your garment. Uh, it's a sign of protection and provision that we see here, refuge. <clears throat> and eventually, so that's, the plan happens, and then the result of the plan we see at the end of the chapter, and that Boaz uh, says, yes, I am a redeemer, but there's one closer to me. Uh, and so Boaz, being a man of integrity, tells her to stay there for multiple reasons. One, uh, because uh, he didn't want, I think, he didn't want people to 
see her leaving his threshing floor and kind of get a bad word on her, then it would affect the actual nearest kinsman, I think, of her, uh, his opinion of, of her. There's multiple reasons there. But anyway, she stays, and then before she heads back, Boaz gives her six measures of barley and put it on her and sends her home so she wouldn't come home empty-handed. That's the story that we have. He promises, I will redeem you, but there's somebody closer. Uh, and it's just like any good Hallmark movie, right? Uh, I know Luke gave that analogy uh, last week, but like, let's think about it for a moment. Like, so it starts with some kind of tragedy. They meet somebody. Then what always happens? There's a curveball that happens. They get an argument. They find out about something. But we know they're going to kiss on the end. For some reason, it's going to happen, right? And so we're kind of following that, saying there's tragedy, there's Boaz, but then there's, wait, but Boaz may not be able to be the guy. But then anyway, so that's kind of the, the pattern. If you want to romantic, like put a movie picture to it, that is what's going on. It's, it caught my eye, too, that both times, both interactions between, between Ruth and Boaz is that Boaz not only dealt kindly with her, but also uh, spoke kindly and actually uh, dealt kindly with her. We see that in chapter two, uh, whenever she asked if she could remain in favor, she says, because you've comforted me and you've spoken kindly to me. And then here in chapter three, we see him speak kindly to her, but also love her indeed as well and sends her back with grain. All right, so that's the story. I'm going to give you two little side truths, and then I'm going to give you a few, like, main truths. Number one, what I see going on in chapter three is that we should seek to always be people who honor our commitments to God, his people, and others. So, Justin, where did you get that from? Why in the world is Ruth going on about this? Why is she doing this? Because in chapter one, she made a commitment to Naomi. She made a commitment to Naomi that where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. You're God to be my God. Your people be my people. She committed herself there. That's why she says, I will, all, all that you say, I will do. Uh, and she's, she's, she's honoring her commitment to God. She's honoring her commitment to Naomi. And the reality, just a little small truth is that, man, as believers, as a church, we should be people who honor our commitments. That's just a life principle. That we should be people who honor our commitments to God, his people, and others. And one of the greatest things we can do, as one of our greatest testimonies, I've learned in my life as a father of Christ, one of my greatest testimonies is to be a person of consistency. Being a consistent person. And the way that you interact with people, the way that you talk to people, the way that you go to work, the way that you do things, the way that you handle situations, to be consistent. Be, uh, it's the gift of the spirit of, of, of self-control. Self-control, it literally means consistency. It literally means to, to, to live a life that's consistent. That is, you are who you are. You're always the same. And so, uh, the first of all, uh, we honor our commitment to God. Hey, I understand that salvation is a free gift of grace. There's nothing I do to earn it, maintain it, keep it. But when we, when we, when we sign up and we say, your God will be my, and when that conversion happens to me, we are, we are surrendering our life to the Lordship of Jesus. And we should be people who seek to honor that commitment we've made to Christ. 
in every area of our life. It isn't just something that we, I feel like doing it this week, but next week, no. It isn't just a Sunday thing. It's, we are people who seek to honor that commitment we've made to Christ. When we said, Jesus, you are the Lord and leader of my life. Where you tell me to go, I'll go. What you tell me to say, I'll, I'll say. Where you tell me to stay, I'll stay. You are my God. And the reality is you may not understand this, but whenever you gave your life to Jesus, you surrendered to his lordship, which means he's the boss. He's the leader. As uh, we have died to ourselves, And we've come alive in Christ. And to, from that point forward, and we're people who not live in the legalism, but, man, but there is a part of Christianity that we say, no, Jesus is my Lord. And what his word says, I submit to and I surrender to. He isn't going to get just a, a tenth of my time. He's getting all of my time. And I seek to honor that commitment more than anything else. Not only a commitment to God, but a commitment to his people. We honor our commitment to his church. That we understand that we, that we can look in, in the book of Acts that we're called to be devoted to one another. The church isn't just a place that we go, it's a people that we're part of. And it's our people, it's God, it's the people who God is, who's called us together to be with and do life together. And we don't, we don't just come and go. We don't just lackadaisical uh, walk through life individual. What we do is we, we commit ourselves to one another, to serve one another, to, to love on one another, to encourage one another. And that's one thing I'm excited about as we go, as we, as we, in, on August 15th, when we begin to lay out some vision for our church, listen, we're in phase one of making sure our Sunday morning service is God glorifying. And we're getting, it's taken us about six, seven months to, to get there. And we're still getting there. We're still getting to where we've, and then, and then phase two is that, man, the gospel, yes, it turns us, it, it, first of all, it makes us fall in love with his body. And we see scripturally that we're called to serve one another primarily. But if we're doing that, we naturally turn outward and go share the gospel with others. And I'm excited about being able to lay out some vision of how we commit to one another. We have gifts, we have talents, we have abilities that, are, that God, the Holy Spirit, has given to each one of us in order to serve one another, to serve his body. And lastly, we honor our commitment to people. We, we love people by being committed to them. The second little side truth that I see is that we're called to love in both word and deed. That's what we see out of Boaz. He didn't just talk a talk. He always took care uh, in, his word, in his word and his deed. All right, big truths. I got to move forward. Here we go. Big truths. Number one, your pain can also become your platform. Your pain can also become your platform. Here we have this lady named Naomi. She's older in age. She, she's bitter. She's upset. But guess what? There's another woman who's lost her husband as well. This just happened to be her daughter-in-law. But in her pain, in her, in her frustration, in her bitterness, she says, you know what? I may be bitter, I, but I've walked through this, and I can help you find rest. And listen to me. I, I don't know why things always happen. I don't know why people get diagnosed with cancer. Specifically, we live in a fallen world, bad things happen. 
Sickness exists because we live in a fallen world. People die because we live in a fallen world. But this is what I have come to understand. The thing that's brought you so much pain, you're not the only person that's walking through it or has walked through it or will walk through it. And that pain for you can be a platform for you to help somebody else with. That you can talk about how God has been faithful to you. That you now, obviously, we don't have Naomi saying, being, she just says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek to find rest for you. But this, morning, this week, God said, hey, there's people in here who have some kind of hurt. They've lost a loved one. They've lost a spouse. They've lost a sibling. They've, lost, they, they've been diagnosed with some kind of disease. They have some kind of struggle that they have. And a picture of the church is that we help each other out in those and even an even greater picture that you have and someone who's older reaching out to someone who is younger, right? Hey, guess what? I, I'm 34, and I don't have everything figured out. You know, you, I know you think I've got everything figured out. But with the picture of the church is that those who are older, those who are mature, those who have, and, and mature, Christian maturity doesn't necessarily equal your age, by the way. I know 20-year-old believers who are way more mature than 40-year-old believers. It has nothing to do with your age. It has your maturity in Christ. But the picture of the church is that, hey, if you live longer than I have, chances are you get more wisdom than I do. Right? Well, there's a separation that happens in churches. Like you got your senior adults, and we, we, we're finally getting close to that here. And uh, before long, we'll have a senior adult ministry and things like that. But what we have is, is that there's almost this divorce of like, hey, no, if you're older in here and older is relative, if there are people younger than you, then those people who are younger than you need you to give them wisdom. Right? You follow me? They need you to help them walk through life. And I see that even here in Naomi and Ruth. Your pain can become your platform. Number two, I made, uh, I pointed out that when when Ruth speaks, when she said, when Boaz says, who are you? She says, I'm your servant. She says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. She asked him to be what he prayed that God would be for her in chapter two. In chapter two, Boaz says, Lord spread wings over you. you be, he'd be your refuge. And now she says, will you spread your wings over me? Cause you are a redeemer. Here's, Point number two, husbands, we are called to be a tangible refuge of God's love for our wives. There is no, I don't think, I, I don't think there is any separation there. Obviously, we are not God. And I'm wife, I'm not telling you to put your hope and identity in your husband because we will fail you miserably. You know that. Uh, you've experienced that. That's not what I'm saying at all. However, God has designed the family and to work in a certain way to be led in a certain way that the husband is a direct, tangible picture, feeling of God's love for your wife. In Ephesians chapter five, verses 23, says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot and wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, look uh, at verse 32. It says, uh, this mystery, speaking of the, the relationship between the husband and the wife, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Listen to me. I know this isn't a family series, but this is what I want us to see this morning is that our, if you're married in here this morning or have a desire to be married, your greatest gospel presentation is the marriage that God has given you. Because in Ephesians 5, it says this, this the mystery is profound, this relationship between husband and wife, it is the picture of Christ's relationship with the church. And out of Ruth, I want to say, husbands, your wife should feel like she's in refuge in your relationship. She should feel safe and secure because that, that is how the Lord has designed it. Number three, keep obeying what you've heard until you hear something new. I got this from between verse five and verse six is that when, when Ruth left, she had in her mind how Boaz was gonna react, but she didn't know. All she knew is that this was the plan. This is what she was supposed to do. So she kept walking. She kept being obedient. She kept doing what she knew to do until it was later revealed what would happen. And a lot of times for me and you is that that's what happens in our own life is that we hear the Lord call us to go do something, step out on faith, begin to do this, and we step out and it feels like we don't hear anything else anymore. Or we hear something and we're not obedient to it but we keep waiting to hear something else. A lot of times God is still waiting back here. Hey, I've called you to do this. I've called you to be here. I've called you to say this. I've called you to go and do this. And we don't like it. So we put it up and we say, no, God, I want to hear something else. No, he's still waiting on you back here. But a lot of times in our life, we, we feel God call us out of the boat. Go speak to this person. Go do this with your life. And we take a big step and it feels like, hold on. I haven't got the rest of the plan yet. Anybody ever been there before? That's just me. I haven't got the rest of the plan yet. Hey, keep walking in obedience till you hear something new. Keep walking. Keep walking in what you know until God speaks again to you. Number four. So the plan is executed. And we see that Ruth uncovers his feet. She asks ultimately for him to redeem her to save her in her situation. She did everything she was supposed to do, but there was another. There's another redeemer. He didn't know, didn't know it wasn't gonna be to the next chapter till we find out. Was the plan gonna work? So number four is that we can trust in God's character in the waiting. We can trust in God's character in the waiting. You ever been in a season of waiting in your life? A season of between point A and point B? What do we do? We trust in God's character. What was Ruth trusting in? How could she, because Naomi told her to be, just don't say anything, just uncover his feet. How could she have the boldness to ask such a, a bold prayer to, or a bold request? Will you spread your wings? Will you redeem me? How could she have such boldness? It's because she knew of the character of the person she was asking. 
right? And it's the same way for me and you is that in, in, in seasons of waiting and seasons of, of trial and seasons of whatever, we trust in God's character of who he's manifested himself to be, who he's revealed himself to be. We, we go back to, to Psalm 40, this well-proven help, one that who, we, we know we can trust God in his character because who he's revealed himself to be in the past. He's proven himself. He's consistent and he's constant. And now we know enough about the book of Ruth to know that the nearest kinsman who had the opportunity before Boaz doesn't redeem him. But listen to me. There was a chance that he would. Am I, am I reading into that? Or is there, like, there was a chance that he would. They, they wanted Boaz, but Boaz said, I'm going to do things the right way. And so they had to wait. She said, he tells, tells Ruth, I'll go into town tomorrow. You go back to Naomi's house and wait. Matter of fact, at verse 18, Naomi tells Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest. It was really funny here. One guy I was reading was like, Naomi knew how, how bad Boaz wanted to be Ruth, and he wasn't going to stop till he got an answer. That's what she's like. He, anyway, uh, for the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. He will, whatever Boaz does, it will be the right thing, is what she's saying. Point number five trust in God's sovereignty when his plan is revealed. Because a lot of times we pray for things, but they don't turn out the way that we think they should. And this story, obviously, it turns out, picture-perfect Hallmark movie. But life isn't always like that. We can pray for things, but they don't also always turn out the way that we want to. I want to tell you to trust in God's sovereignty. He knows better when his plan is actually revealed, whenever you do see the thing. All right, lastly, how does this point to Christ? Christ is the willing kinsman redeemer. He's the one who, under no obligation to the law, decided on his own behalf that he would redeem us. Listen to me. We are just as helpless and hopeless in our sin as Ruth was and Naomi, especially Ruth and her condition. And under no obligation, Christ came and sought after us. And now we, listen to me, do you realize, like you look at Ruth and look at the audacity of her request, but you know what's a crazier request? To ask the holy, perfect God of the universe to save us and to redeem us and shower us with love. But because of Christ, we can boldly request, we can boldly call upon the throne of grace. So we can come to him and ask, just like Boaz, Christ is always working for our good. Number three, just something that I guess it was a theme for me this week. This faith of Ruth, she had faith in Boaz, she had faith in God's plan. And, and I think this is important for us to remember that the call to follow Christ is a call to faith. It's a call to keep walking. It's a call to keep being obedient, to keep, to keep waiting, to trusting in his character. Our life is a life of faith. Now, it's not a logical faith. We live by faith, which means 
even despite what life looks like, we keep walking, following Christ. If our faith is reasonable, we've weighed out the options and we've said, you know what? Life with Christ is is greater than any life without him. And by faith, I'm going to keep walking. By faith, I'm going to keep trusting. By faith, I'm going to keep praying. By faith, I'm going to keep walking. And for some reason, we have a picture of the Christian life is that we get in by faith, that we stay in by our own intellect and our own logic and our own ability to be able to reason and understand everything that's going on. Listen to me. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. The call to follow Jesus is always a call to faith the rest of our life. So we keep walking in the waiting. We keep walking in the time between Naomi's house and the threshing floor. We keep, take, keep putting one step in front of the other. We keep walking. We keep going because that is a life we've been called to. Listen to me. And we can trust in the character of the object of our faith. The object of my faith is not my faith. What I mean by that is my faith doesn't weary by how strong my faith is. Anybody ever been there before? Like my faith is fleeting. Well, the good news is my faith isn't in my faith. My faith isn't in my belief. My faith is in a person. His name is Jesus. And he has a character that has been well-proven, a character that is faithful, a character that is sovereign and strong and good and mighty and merciful. He can redeem any situation. That's who my faith is in. It's not in my ability to keep the faith. My faith isn't even in Ashley. It's not in my family. It's not in those around me. My faith is in Christ. Listen to me. I want to remind you this morning that when you signed up to follow Jesus, it was a, a call to faith in Christ. Lastly, I didn't know how to say this one, so I just gave you the scripture reference. I want you to get the picture. She washes herself, she anoints herself. She puts on a robe, she puts on her cloak, and she goes and asks somebody to redeem her, to provide for her, to make provision for her. How do we see Christ in this? Revelation chapter seven, verse 13. It says, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. There's the provision there. Verse 15, therefore, they're before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will, they shall never they shall never hunger, they will hunger no more. They will, they will never, neither thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's exactly what Ruth is asking Boaz, provide for me, shepherd me, wipe away tears, Make provision for me. Oh, that's a picture to Christ, what he does for the church, that he, he calls people, uh, a great people from a great tribulation. Obviously, this is in the throne room, and one day where they've washed their robes, and now they sit there day and night in his presence. We see Christ, that's what he does for the church. 
He calls us to himself. Even so much, this is entry level. Whenever Boaz says, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. She remembered who she was. She knew that she had no standing in where she was. And it's the same thing in coming to follow Christ. Who are you? I'm Justin, nobody. I acknowledge who I am and my sinfulness. And the Bible teaches us that in that and knowing who we are, we can make a bold declaration and say, well, will you forgive me? Will you provide? Will you redeem me? Scripture says that he is faithful and just and all who call upon his name will be saved. If you'll do that this morning, he will save you. If he's calling you to belay Ruth and say, I am helpless and hopeless, but you, you can save me. Will you do that this morning? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit speaks this morning to our hearts and to our hearts and lives. God, I thank you for your word that is, that is just good and it's sweet. It's sharp, but it's also comforting. God, I pray that you speak this morning, that you'll draw us closer to you. God, for those in here who are somewhere in between Naomi's house and the threshing floor, God, you'll give them the faith and continue to walk in obedience. God, remind us that this life we're called to is a life of faith. And we don't understand, we keep walking, we keep going. I mean, how we respond now here in this place, honor you in Christ's name, amen.